Uncontrolled Airspace Information Alpha, 1353 Zulu. The members and guests of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily represent the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. Inform controller on initial contact that you have information alpha. You know, one of the one of the things I tell people when they get in my airplane for the first time, irrespective of whether they're a pilot or not, is don't touch nothing. Right. So here, here's this news story. This guy, you know, and I don't know if this was a, a demonstration ride for media or friends or <laughs> yeah, no. or if the guy was paying real money for this ride or or, or whatever it was. <laughs> but there's this guy in this Pilatus PC Mark uh, Two. He says it's a jet. It's actually a turboprop, um, two seat tandem uh, turboprop that performed much better than uh, um, uh, anything you or I get to regularly fly. Guys in the back seat. Pulls the eject handle, just <laughs> because it was there. Basically, hmm. he was holding, trying to hold on. What's and he this? Holds on to the I wonder what handle. this does. Yes, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, and but kind but of here, handle. Here's, go ahead. No, 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 no. You go ahead. I was going to say there's a little bit here that gets laid off on on whoever strapped him in and briefed him because right, uh, right. got a ride in a PC nine several years ago and then. The, a follow-on to this PC-7, tandem seat, turboprop, ejection seats, uh, and two days later in FA-18 with the Blue Angels, I was having a high G week. And in both instances, upon being seated, strapped in, ratcheted down, and they ratchet down the leg straps until your voice starts to go up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Then a guy reaches down and he pulls out a pin. He does that so well. From the handle, and he shows it to you, and he says, the seat is hot now. Do not touch this handle unless you look up and the guy in front of you is gone and you're still here. Right. Um, I was talking to Stephen Force about this recently um, because he got a ride in in the U.S. Air Force's version of this airplane a few months back. And his comment was that when they briefed him, they they didn't actually take out the pin, the routine procedure. <laughs> he used to ride it down huh? in the back seat. No, no. Apparently the apparently the front seat will eject both seats. Ice. Okay. Um, Ice. So Ice. the rear seat can't, you know, it can't do anything. That, that, that's true. That's supposed to be the uh, the the. Uh, that's good the, policy. The setup. Well, here, the front seat. The front seat blows both and the back seat usually goes first here's my problem with that yeah that front handle doesn't always punch both seats out <laughs> oops. <laughs> oops and i don't want to be pulling on the handle and going right. oh gee there's this there's, there's a little red oh remove before flight ah! <laughs> and, it, and, it ta- and it takes a metric or you know it takes a whitworth wrench or something you know? <laughs> yeah, right right you can't just <laughs> i'm guessing that but, you're going to be but, but, yeah, but how so, would you like to be the front seater? Okay, yeah, he's he's flying along, fat, dumb, and happy, flying the mission, and all of a sudden his cargo self ejects. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, and there's this there's this great huge rush of wind. The airplane just got louder and much more draggy, and he's not sure if he's going to have to do that. Yeah, suddenly uh, you're driving so a drop top. Like, 
That's got to be almost stop. It's got to be almost as rude as popping open the the storm window <laughs> thirty thousand feet over in Mexico. That's where we've been going this whole time. I, I don't know who would do that. <laughs> that was a long way to go, but That's it was where we were every going moment. This whole time. I thought about that motor and into El Paso a couple of weeks ago. So I think that's we were on our way there when. It was, it, but you know, it's a remarkably effective way to check the alert level of the pilot in command. Yeah. That's yeah. Really, yeah. He, he, he now, now you say that. You didn't say that at the time. <laughs> I've been working on an excuse for eight years. I mean, what the hell? Uh, but the, yeah, this had to be something for the PC seven. Uh, you know, the 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 uh, the combat pilot demonstrator because uh, that airplane's got to handle significantly differently when you've dropped the top off of it yeah Uh, you would think Uh, i'm i'm kind of well i guess it will fly my concern would be that the uh, rocket motors that that blast these chairs out of there would uh, damage something or singe the back of the neck of the pilot up front or something like that well Well, that's one of the whole lot of go ahead jeb go ahead jeb go um it doesn't say much if anything just scanning this real quickly about the pilot it's presumed that he he landed safely, I guess, but um, the guy who ejected apparently he came through without a scratch, which is just phenomenal to me. Yeah, because those things are dangerous. Yeah, those things are very dangerous, and uh, there's a lot of energy there, and he's not trained for any of this. You know, I, it's phenomenal. It really is. Yeah, he that probably didn't execute a, a, a by the book PLF. You know, the parachute right. landing fall. Uh, one of the reasons on those tandem seat aircraft why the master fires the back seat first is because the rocket is behind the back seat and it shields the uh, the the front seat. Yeah, I guess uh, having the front one go flat. first would be the problem, right? Front one going first will uh, trim your eyebrows. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. Well, yeah, it was definitely a. Uh, uh, an oopsie well, kind of moment, I think. And, and for I, the record, I, this this I, was I in South Africa. Whether they charged him extra for it? Yeah, really. Yeah, uh, really. For the record, this was in South Africa, and it's uh, on the, the Telegraph uh, CO uh, UK website. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh well, that's a lesson learned, I guess, of some sort, right? It's like leave the pin well, in, I guess. And, and the pilot can say that he uh, had a passenger punch him out. Well, no. Okay. Welcome, folks, to episode. I wouldn't want too many people to know. One hundred and sixty of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this uh, episode on uh, Wednesday evening, November eleventh, two thousand nine, uh, Veterans Day yep. here in the United States. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are uh, my two good friends. Uh, Dave Higdon is there, joining us from Wichita, Kansas. You are back in Wichita, right, David? Thankfully, yes. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of. You've been like giving me a run for your money, my run for my money travel wise lately. You've been doing a lot of zipping. Yeah, around. there was a three week stretch when I was only home about four days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of it lovely, all of it fun. Uh, got to enjoy Mister Burnside's pleasant company uh, a little bit during the visit, uh, during the travels. Even was witness to yet another. Rare occurrence. Oh yes, oh yes. A you turning know, of the I, key I, before the noon. Ooh, hour. okay, yeah. What what happened? What, what was the motivation? It must have been a big motivation, as we've discovered. The get, motivation get, was get my was butt out of his pass. house. <laughs> no, <laughs> that was Higdon. H I G D O N. Yeah. Uh, the, the motivation was to save three hours in the car. 
Yeah, I know. Uh, so you flew him over. What, you flew him over to Tampa. 15, or something? Yeah, fifteen minutes to Tampa. Uh, twenty minutes, whatever it was. We were rolling up to Signature uh, at Tampa International Sunday morning at seven thirty. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Okay. And that was after Tampa vectored you around uh, the whole area for forty-five minutes. We right? got a straight in. Did you got a straight we in, got a man? Straight in. Yeah, cleared to land number one, three six right. We discovered when you have to arrive at Tampa in a small airplane to get good treatment. Then, right? Well, the yeah. getting out of there was was more than a little interesting because um, it, it was, all of a sudden it was amateur hour. Uh, all the AOPA uh, attendees oh, yeah, trying, okay. trying to get out and beat the rush. And this poor guy, um, David, you didn't you didn't hear the outbound uh, stuff, man. Uh, no, there was, was very little going outbound when you were inbound. Yeah, it, it was. No, no, no. I mean, you didn't hear the the conversation I had outbound from Tampa. No, uh, or, the, or the the frequency. It was jammed with people who did not have enough coffee that morning. <laughs> <laughs> and that other voice is uh, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. So this was people who are getting out of Tampa that morning, or people who are getting out of Exact so, that morning. There was there was a lot of. No, this is this is the Tampa general area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just a lot of GA airplanes, and they weren't listening. Um, I don't know what their problem was. Controller controller was having a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, they were coming out of three airports, uh, mm-hmm. all under the same uh, uh, approach uh, free sector umbrella. Yeah. Uh, Tampa, the same sector. Uh, Tampa exact. He was Pedro Knight and Tampa International. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he had to be busier than a one armed paper hanger. Yeah. So Jeb, how you doing? What's going on in your world now that you got rid of Dave? It's uh... now now that I've gotten rid of Dave, you know things have calmed down. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have quite the quite the parties we used to. Yeah. Uh, now but, I think we uh, should I think we should talk very very briefly about what you were talking about before we started recording about your new toy because I think some of our listeners might be able to help you with your uh, your question. You told yeah, us that I, you, uh, you got a new toy. Well, what would you get? I, I got a, I got a new toy. Um, uh, it's a Motorola Droid, uh, Android operating system phone on, mm-hmm. uh, on Verizon. Kind of cool. And um, the, I, I would have gotten an iPhone a long time ago, probably, uh, but I just can't deal with AT&T. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the places that I need to be and need to have phone service, they don't have it. Can't say as I blame Verizon, you. Yep. Where, where Verizon does. So. I know exactly what you're talking uh, about. What's Verizon like? Because I know from experience that AT&T coverage in your little neighborhood is, is iffy. Is Verizon any better down there? It's not really. I, I don't have a signal here at my desk, but I can go other places in the house or out in front. And I'll yeah, get okay. a, I'll, yeah. So, t- so what's the? Use. You've only had this phone for a couple days. I, just yesterday, I got it. Um, um, so far, so good. Uh, I wanted to get my hands on it and evaluate it. You know, during the first, you know, however many days I have, um, it's a it's a huge jump up from the Windows Mobile operating system phone. I, I I'm jump trading. up in terms of it's better. You're saying. It's it's better. Well, first of all, you, you're talking about the Windows operating system on a mobile device, and it just doesn't do well. Uh, that operating system is just not uh, the best on the market these days. This is Android, so I, I don't know how it's, it, it should be fine. It, it seems to be bulletproof in, in uh, some of its earlier versions, and, and this version is, is a much later one. So I want to give it a shot. Yeah. Um, see what now, I, the hardware we, I like it's it's thinner and a little it's thinner than my old phone. It weighs about the same. It's about the same size otherwise. Now before we become a technology podcast here, let's uh, right. the, the question but you asked the, earlier. Here's the, yeah. Here's the punchline. Yeah. Um, 
I'm not aware of any aviation-oriented applications for this yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to be educated. Uh, I would like to explore some of the things that are out there. Uh, I'm certainly willing to, you know, pay the freight to to make sure I get the right copies of the right apps. Um, but I need some suggestions. So if there anybody has any ideas, um, uh, please give me a, you know, send up a flare, send up a smoke signal, uh, hit me up on the forums or something. Right. Now my first, have- my first comment was that uh, I'll. Uh, one thing that pilots like in this kind of thing is weather information, and there probably are generic okay. weather apps that you could find. Um, whether or not there are any aviation-specific weather apps is another question. So uh, do you have a f- in your fantasy what what you'd like to be able to do aviation-wise with the phone? Um, file a flight plan, maybe even get a clearance. That would be very cool. I don't mm-hmm. know why we're not doing that already. A WX Weather uh, Brief, right? Yeah, um, being able to but, get the uh, AOPA airports directory uh, on it would be yeah, nice. Yeah, okay, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, air nav data, if it's uh, um, uh, the air nav, an air nav widget would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe some other things like um, uh, you know, display a PDF of uh, of an approach plate in a pinch. Hmm. Okay, I don't know. Cut a quick question. You know, fi- figure it, it out so you can kind of. So you can zoom around and then, I mean, zoom and then, you know, uh, just with a swirl, I mean, just with a swish of the finger, move around the, yeah. the, the approach plate. That would be not kind of cool. David, what were you going to say? I had a quick question. It's called a droid? It yeah. is. Did it come with a Wookiee? <laughs> no, it did not come with a Wookiee. But these, Dave, these are not the droids you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look elsewhere. These aren't the droids I'm looking for. And speaking of Wookiees, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you here from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. <laughs> so, uh, well, that's kind of cool. I want to hear more about that. Uh, everyone that's, knows that yeah, I'm a devoted Apple person. For the books. But I'm yeah, pretty, pretty and, tired and of... As uh, I say, I, I'm not really a, a, a devotee of, of... Yeah? Jeb? We lose you, Jeb? I think we lost Jeb. Dave, are you there? I think so. Okay, hang on. I'm looking. I'm looking. Let's get. Yeah, I'm still here. This is not the phone number you were looking for. Yeah, I know. (laughs) What happened? I don't know. Did you crash? You're back. I did nothing. I know. I've been trying to call you or text you ever since. Uh huh. You you disappeared and Skype said my own business, and kerwham, it just goes offline. All right, folks, we're back. Um, We. So we were just talking, and Jeb just like stopped talking, and I was thinking, oh, he's tango like, uniform. Yeah, but now I, can can anybody remember what it was we were talking about when we lost Jeb here? I think we were in in need of a segue. In need, in need of a segue. Okay, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, I'm it, this is Jack from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire, and uh, uh, well, where was, you did speaking of Wookies, I'm Jack Hodgson. Blah blah blah. blah. I did that. Yeah, and then so uh, we were past that. You, yeah. You're, yeah, we we were way past that. But we I, were on I the was top sworn two, I was, which has I was, nothing whatsoever to do with the list. Here. I was waiting for Jeb. To, Jeb was 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 was, uh, you know. We, we I mean, so you it, know we had wrapped we had wrapped you know, the droid conversation. Yeah, yeah, yep. And and we oh, it doesn't make any difference. The listeners are all were, hollering were, at their hollering at their iPods right now, going, "You were talking about." Let's move <laughs> on. Um, you guys uh, both got to go to AOPA uh, Aviation yeah. Summit this year. Yes, and, we did. Uh, what was it like? Was it uh, upbeat? Was it not upbeat? Was it uh, what was it? No, like this it year? was it was realistic. Yeah, it was. It was uh, everybody there. You know, knows what's going on. Everybody there. Um, 
is uh, you know still you know dedicated to to the market, dedicated to the activity. Obviously, there weren't as as many people there, perhaps as as uh, as uh, others might want. But um, what I saw was pretty steady, and um, I haven't heard anybody complaining about the quality. So. Uh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely thankful not. for what they got, and uh, you know, pretty much a good time was had by all. David, how would you compare it to uh, MBAA the couple weeks before? Uh, very similar in mood and atmosphere, uh, uh-huh. quite frankly. Uh, no complaints about the quality of the crowd. That was also true at the National Business Aviation Association convention. Uh, the halls weren't deserted, but they weren't clogged either. And there were times at AOPA when the halls were really busy. And then a session would start that sucks all the people off the floor, right. a lot of the people off the floor. Yep. And so then the exhibit hall looks more sparsely populated. Uh, numbers just came out today, and it was uh, somewhat well under 8,000 in attendance, which is uh, down quite a bit. Uh, but they had in excess, they say, they counted more than 1,000 aircraft Mm -hmm. that flew in between Peter O'Knight, Champa Exec, and Champa International. And a good Uh, portion of them are trying to get out Sunday morning. Yeah, I know. A good portion of them are trying to get out Sunday morning. The economy aside, David and Jeb, um, they they changed the name. I mean, I, I kind of joke around about this, but they changed the name this year. Um, that used to be the AOPA Expo, and now it's the AOPA A, uh, Aviation Summit. Was it the same event, or was it different than last year? Just structurally, the stuff that they were trying to accomplish. I, I didn't go last year. I, I actually haven't been to an AOPA uh, recently. Uh-huh. Uh, last one I think I went to David, was... David, did you uh, go last year? Lord no, but I've been to enough of the expos to, to, to know that this was a different... Different structure, different to go with the different theme, and no, I'll, I'll, many new features. I'll agree with that. Yeah, I'll agree with that. They're different uh, in what way? Well, for one, uh, the uh, the theme drove the way some of the uh, sessions and some of the uh, uh, big names that appeared were presented to the audience. Uh, the uh, the, the 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 convention started on uh, on a Thursday morning. The opening general session was a panel made up of pretty much the dominant alphabet groups that are involved in representing general aviation interests. Uh, AOPA moderated it. That was Mr. Craig Boyer, first year president. Also in attendance, Craig who? Fuller. Sorry, <laughs> Craig Fuller. <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> He, he, I won't repeat it. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't repeat it. Don't repeat it. You'll just have to edit it out. Uh, Craig oh, Fuller no, moderated. can't do that. Um, then there were the presidents, and I'm not going to name them all, of the uh, General Aviation Manufacturers Association, National Business Aviation Association, Experimental Aircraft Association, Women in Aviation International, National Air Transportation Association, and the Aircraft Electronics Association. Okay. Now, what was that panel like? What was the theme? What was the tone? The theme was, the- was One Voice. Kumbaya. How the uh, how the uh, uh, community benefits when these groups work together and what they all have in common, their common goals, their common interests. Uh, It was not 
quite like, as one of my more cynical friends observed, a statement of the Borg saying you will be assimilated. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, but the, you know, some I, of the I, other, I for one, other, welcome our new robot overlord. <laughs> <laughs> some of the other sessions uh, were equally diverse uh, and, and informative. Uh, there was a bit less of the uh, audience Q and A. But a central feature to this, even when there were no general sessions going on, there are all these little workshops that they continued as they have at expos in the past. You know, single pilot IFR, traveling internationally, and owner of maintenance, and flying to the Baja, and, 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 and very useful stuff for rank-and-file GA pilots. They had this big stage area and video area set up in the middle of the convention hall floor. Uh, they called Center Stage. And they streamed interviews pretty much constantly when there wasn't a general session going on. And they would rotate people through, usually in 30-minute blocks. And this went out. Apparently, about 15,000 people streamed one or more of these programs as they happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all available on the website. And this was a very, very slick High production values operation with oh, multiple yeah. cameras, boom cameras, steady cam, uh, and then above it were huge screens like you might see at the new stadium for the Dallas Cowboys. So from almost any corner of the exhibit hall floor, you could see the screen and who was talking, and if you listen closely, hear the echoes of the audio. Uh, so that was a, 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 a large part of it. The static display became Airport Fest, and it was open to the general public from the Tampa area. Uh, come on out and see the airplanes. They had a community day on Saturday. I think that's a, that's a, they should have been doing that all along. Should have been doing that all along. I think in some instances they have in the past on the last day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there was, a, there was a good bit to differentiate the theme and the, and, and, and the structure, how they set up the core elements of uh, Summit versus Expo, it still had a good size exhibit hall, albeit quite a bit smaller than uh, the last time I went. Uh, they still had all the useful workshops, and they had a record 104 aircraft out at the Airport Fest static display. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so there was a lot to look and see, and demo rides were being uh, provided, and it, it was fairly dynamic. The the bottom line, though, is none of it, and one of our listeners approached me at the static display. He said he, he'd been to Oshkosh. He came to this. He was kind of surprised at the, you know, it just didn't seem as as, as charged. Mm-hmm. And in talking to one of the aircraft OEMs, he said, well, what it is, it's a lack of energy. There's no enthusiasm here. Right, right. And, right. you know, the people were there. It was important for them to be there, the ones that came. Uh, you could tell that they were seriously into aviation enough to, to pay to come down there. Uh, but it lacked a lot of energy. And I'm going to close out my side of this with a, a quick report. I had a seatmate from Tampa to Dallas-Fort Worth on Sunday, returning from AOPA Summit, who, if I had it to do all over again, I would have stuck with my seat way back in the uh, steering wheel. <laughs> The gentleman had attended Summit, Uh and he was boisterous and vociferous in his uh, uh, assessment, Uh, and I'm not going to use the the similar language, Uh, and I I believe that the guy uh, 
probably would have had the same attitude if he had not still been wholly too well lubricated for eight thirty in the <laughs> I morning. See. But no man, no. so what was his first of all, was he was he an industry person or just a pilot attendee? Just a pilot who came out from the West Coast. He said his fifteenth time. Uh he was pretty much one hundred percent dissatisfied. I see. Really? Really? Yeah. On, on yeah, what, almost what almost ground? bitter, and I wrote some of that off to the fact that he was. Uh, you could smell him from seats across the aisle. Wow! Wow! Yeah. yeah. Well, I, well uh, I definitely had a had a better ride home. Yeah. So, um, well, that's kind of all interesting stru- structurally and strategically. Um, wh- what were the stories? Were there any interesting stories that came out of the whole thing? Any announcements? Any? Uh, there was some well, new stuff announced there. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Jeff, go first. Garmin's, Garmin's Era series, new series of handhelds. That Looks kind of cool, yeah. Yeah, basically replace. I don't know if it replaces the 696 or not, but it basically replaces all of their other. No, uh, no, it doesn't replace 696. Yeah. They're a lot smaller. Yeah, it's a lot smaller. It's like a Nuvi they're, size. It's like. Yeah, uh, they're, they're t- it's a different chassis uh, and obviously new software. It's a touchscreen. Um, I haven't had my hands on one yet. I'm, I'm not in a huge rush. Um, I'd like to see one. I'd like to play with one. I'm not. I don't think I'm in yeah. the market to buy one. But you never know. After I played with it, it's like eight hundred dollars for the basic, yeah, com- the low end, com- the combined aviation automobile one. I think is like eight hundred dollars, yeah. and you can actually Which get weather on it. Price point, yeah, it's not a bad price point. I guess. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's in- where the uh, Honeywell Aviator has been for about a year. I guess. Just keep in mind, just to give you a data point, is that the uh, the automobile only. Garmin device that's got the same basic form factor. If I'm looking at the picture correctly, um, that device is like 150 bucks. Right. So you're right. paying like 500 something dollars that's because right. they didn't have to pay Jeppesen for a database. Yeah. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Uh, that was Hignan. H I G. So that's uh, that's I'm one sorry, thing. Sorry, but facts yeah. is facts. What are those, Je- uh, Dave? What story did ca- caught your attention? Well, there were a number. Of, there were a number of new things there that I thought were kind of useful, and you know, no blowout announcements. But if you're a serious GA pilot and serious about your flying and your equipment, there were several things there that I thought were really worth some time. Uh, one of them was a company called Emerging Life Saving Technologies, brand new company, and their first product they unveiled uh, on opening day as in lightweight 406 megahertz ELT with self-contained GPS position reporting uh, for under 1500 bucks, selling on the street for under 12 hmm. uh, Five-year battery life and replacement batteries under 200 bucks. Uh, you know, the, the old ELTs that had to have their batteries replaced every two years, the batteries, no thanks, were about 185 bucks, and that was every two years. So this is a fairly reasonable unit, lightweight, uh, about standard size, but you don't have to hook it up to an external GPS. The GPS is built into it. And the folks from Canad, who are do ELTs, had a new lightweight compact one they were showing it. They introduced it at Oshkosh, but I hadn't had a chance to see it. It's about a third smaller than typical units. It's not GPS enabled, but was about 800 bucks, uh street price. And this <clears throat> This uh, big complaint, and in, in I think reasonable, that the 406 megahertz stuff that you need to actually have a satellite know that you're down now, 
uh, have been prohibitively expensive for a lot of folks. You know, two grand, twenty five hundred for GPS enabled, or one that you could even plug into a GPS. And now we're getting them down into you know eleven, twelve hundred bucks street price, and it, it does not have. Bucks. It does not have GPS. Is that what you said? Well, the Kanad does not. Yeah, that's okay. the eight hundred dollar one. The emerging emerging life saving technologies product does. It's hmm. built into it at, at the same price point. Well, it's eleven hundred bucks. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, no, it's eleven hundred bucks. But this is less than half of what they've been for uh, up to now. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't taken a close look at 406 ELTs, the, the fixed mount uh, versions uh, lately. That, that I'll have to check that out. My ELT is good. I don't plan on needing it, so uh, I'm not. Well, gonna you know that it, it's one of those. But it's like it's it, like your life it, insurance. I don't want to be yeah. the one to use it. If I if I was getting off the beaten path and out in the you know uh, Rocky Mountains or, or something like that, uh, up in Idaho or something like that. Um, I think differently about it, but everywhere I go, I'm pretty much in radar contact and talking to somebody, so they're going to know. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, a couple other things, real quick and dirty. Yeah. An outfit called Start Pack that makes a, a relatively lightweight. I mean, it, it was under. It felt like it was about seven or eight pounds. Lithium ion, 24 volt jump start battery. Oh, really? About twice the cranking voltage of a lead acid battery. Uh, lithium ion, so it's very lightweight, uh, plugs in and stays on a charger. It was about 425 bucks, and you, they can make a 12-volt version for you if that's what you need. Uh, I thought that was a cool... Well, I got a 12-volt airplane, but I'll stick with the 24. I like to see it spin really fast. <laughs> yeah, man, well, then you can fly on the puppy. Uh, and... Uh, Saw a glimmer that replacement landing lights that use LED technology is going to be coming on. Uh, I I looked at at a couple of those. The the only one I really saw, which I was aware of, just I I did talk to the the booth person to refresh my memory was the uh, uh, Lopresti boom beam. Um, oh, and and that's not LED. That's uh, no, that's that's uh, his. That's HID. Yeah, that's HID. But. Um, uh, that was that's real money to put one of those in. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm just not going to do that. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll skate by with you know ten buck bulbs and having to replace them two or three times a year. For well, that. we had real good luck going to quartz uh, in place of the old style filaments for our well, wing that's tip what landing lights. Like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I've got the tip tanks, and, and I'm not aware of an upgrade lighting option for those tips. But um, my, of course, I my. Um, Nose landing uh, light that I use all the time when it's the only light I can use when the gear is up. Um, it it I change it with some regularity and, and I, you know skip the quartz bulb uh, that fits the uh, uh, fits the mounting and, and keep on going down the road. It's not a big deal, but I, I'd like a, an LED solution. That would be the hot lick. As a little sidebar here, Jeb, I, you make me remember. You said to me, and I remember you talking to someone else with pride when we were hanging out with your airplane, um, the uh, the light installations that you have, the forward-shining light installations you have the, on your uh, airplane. How do you describe that for me again? Okay. Well, the, the airplane came from the factory with a, uh, a landing light in the nose bowl just below the propeller. Um, that uh, obviously can be used whether the gear is up or down. Um, on the nose gear, there is also a factory installation of a, of a larger bulb. I call it my amp sucker. Uh, <laughs> cause, 
you know, I, I flick that sucker on, and I'll, I got this this idiot light system basically in the, installed in the panels in STC. It tells me if I've got low battery or low vacuum immediately. And uh, the little red light starts blinking on and off. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and, but I can see. Uh, yeah, I can see really, really yeah. good. <laughs> Not for long, for as, uh, but for as long see. as a battery yeah. lasts. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. But uh, um, all that came from the factory. And, and one of these days, I'll find LED solutions, especially for that, that amp sucker. Um, but until then, I don't use it all that often. And then I've never, ever, ever had to replace it. It is... I don't know how long it's been on the airplane. I've had the airplane more than ten years, and I've never had to touch it. it wow! It's, it, yeah, it's really it's really cool. But uh, then I've got this aftermarket system, um, uh, STC, by a buddy of mine, uh, kind of a, a bonanza guru, Al Icorn. A lot of people know him as Adrian Icorn. Uh, he was at AOPA this week, actually. I uh, ran into him and his girlfriend. But um, he he's got this STC for these lights that mount on the main landing gear legs. So that when I've got the gear down and all my lights are on, I've got four different uh, bulbs aiming forward. I look like a 727 on final approach sometimes. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it must be, yeah. But it's it's a good thing. Yeah, people, I haven't run into anybody yet. Yeah, there you go. That's the, there you go. That's the, that's the slogan right there. It's like, uh, haven't run anybody uh, yet. Yeah, I, the uh, mid-air mid freeze for 10 yeah. years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There are a lot of nice little options in, in LED, especially uh, in wingtip recognition lights. Yeah. Uh, and if my wingtips would accept them, I would be up for a reasonably priced set. Um, I don't know. That's something I need to research, I guess. What, what makes them outstanding in your mind? Just They're, they're just brighter than, and they use less uh, uh, energy. And um, they never wear out. Yeah. They never wear out. Um, the strobes that I have in my wingtips, in my tip tanks, have, have crazed the plastic a little bit. So one of these days, I'm going to have to uh, – it's, it's just a cosmetic thing. Uh, but one of these days, I'll have to replace those, uh, those lens covers, and that'll, you know, that'll yeah. fix that. It, and they've got yeah. LED While I'm doing that, I'd like to maybe – Hang on, one at a time. Jeb, finish your thought. While I'm doing that, though, while I'm in there, it'd be nice to rebuild the whole thing with new technology lighting. Yeah. David, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, and it's it, it's just about here. They've got LED systems now that can be take, put out in place of your anti-collision lights, and some of them look just like strobes in a twinkling. Jeb and I saw a system like that uh, at his place uh, uh, Sunday before last, and uh, they're plus significantly better. kind of stuff. And uh, you know, and when we finally, what's the word I want here? Aftermarket replacement LED landing lights for that, you know, 4509 that's standard, right, something right. that's serviceable there. Uh, we'll be on the brink of being able to retrofit an entire old aircraft with LEDs, and that'll be the last time we'll have to screw with it. Yeah. And, and I won't even know that I'll have a low voltage uh, warning system because it'll never activate. It'll never activate. Yeah, it'll never come on it'll again. Never activate. Hey, before we move on uh, to a subject other than AOP, well, actually, I want to move on to the most important part of AOP Expo. But but are there any other products you wanted to call attention to first? I'm one gonna... real quick. One real quickly. Right. I've known about this product. I don't have it in front of me. I don't have the the package in front of me to read off who it is. Um, but um, there's this. This company, this is a little startup, and they've made this glove that you wear in the cockpit, and basically it covers your your thumb and index finger, and it's got two little LED lights 
one for each finger. Yeah. So at night, you using you put that on your hand and you reach over to something, and you you can illuminate it as you reach for it. Oh, okay. Without having to have a flashlight or or, or something or turn up the the cabin lights or something like that. Um, twenty five bucks. Um, for what it is, it's probably you know two or three bucks in materials, but it looks pretty cool. It it works well. Did you get uh, one of these? Yeah. I oh, one. yeah. He was he was showing it off at his place the yeah. other night, yeah. and we were able to come up with five alternative uses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's enough of that. <laughs> I, uh, I wasn't privy to that conversation. I must have. <laughs> I must have missed that when I walked in to take it off. But uh. all right, um, but before we got to move on here, but quickly, uh, the most important part of AOP Expo is the uh, social aspects here. I know you guys got together at H- least H- once. Higgin, H- H- you're going you're gonna to give me a, a reputation that I don't deserve. <laughs> Tell me about. Uh, I know there was at least one. I might uh, want it, but I don't deserve it. Meetup or or uh, uh, social networking yeah. uh, um, gathering there. What meet, was that all about? Got to meet Scoffrey Jet. Yeah. Uh, Got to meet Jeff Ward, um, who who does our show notes, uh, and and very graciously, uh, very much enjoyed meeting Jeff. It was uh, our first time together in the same zip code, to my knowledge, and uh, just an enjoy very enjoyable evening. And uh, thanks for the, for the hospitality, and and thanks for your time. Now, in addition to uh, uh, meeting you guys and going to AOPA uh, Summit, uh, he also uh, went down to Florida Law early and got a seaplane rating while he was down there. Uh-huh. Did he tell he you did. anything about that? What was that? Ex- I should, we should we, just we, ask him, but you tell me what well, he told you. Well, he obviously had a blast. Uh, how can you not have a blast flying float planes uh, in Florida uh, in November? Um, but um, um, one thing that, um, uh, well, I mean, we compared notes, and, and uh, his experience was kind of like mine, very worthwhile and, and obviously successful. But one of the things that um, um, I was able to accomplish at AOPA, I, and, and he knows who he is, uh, one of our listeners, uh, and I had kind of compared notes about once we get the single-engine seaplane rating, maybe going for the multi-engine seaplane rating. And I think I may have nailed down how to do that. Um, uh, I'll know next week after I make a couple of phone calls. Okay. So well, we just kind of a status report. Yeah. Status report. Anybody else at that gathering uh, that we know and, and want to hear about? We met uh, some other listeners. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'll tell that story. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Thursday night, uh, we went out with uh, Craig Barnett and a party of favorites um, and went and got sushi. Craig Barnett, uh, of course, is the owner, founder uh, of uh, Scheme Designers, which will uh, um, design your, your, uh, the paint scheme for your airplane and make sure your, uh, your paint shop applies it correctly. Uh, Craig's very good people. Always a pleasure to get together with him. Dave and, and he and, and I and, I don't know, what, six or, six or so other people. Yeah, uh, easily. <clears throat> went out for sushi. Yeah, went out for sushi Thursday night. Sake was involved. Uh, okay. Enough said. We're on the hotel shuttle on the way back to the hotel. And the hotel shuttle swings by the convention center and picks up some people. And the second guy in the door, hey, it's Jeff and Dave from the uncontrolled airspace. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And we had a we we um uh rode back to the hotel and we were chatting that they're out of New Jersey in northern Philly or northern Pennsylvania. Came down in a 182. I think I, th- I, I, I'm, 
dude, I'm sorry. I don't remember your name. I think it was Mike. Um, you know who you are. Uh, it was great to meet you. Um, you didn't catch us at our best. <laughs> or, or you did catch your, catch you. They did catch you at your best. They uh, caught us at you. our most relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. And, well. and, and I met a nice young man out at the static, uh, when I was, uh, without Jeb, uh, uh, Dave from New York, uh, who, uh, related to me how he had, uh, Gotten back into flight training, been listening to us, uh, finished his license recently, uh, wasn't up to speed on where things are. Uh, is the way I understood it because he's listening to them chronologically and was up to 2008. Yeah, this just kills me. It's but he's just, not listening to the new ones as they get posted. He's just well, going to close that gap. I so. mean, God bless people who 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 want to listen to all the other older ones, and that's really nice so, and they're very so, touching. So but David, in about in about a year, when you get to this episode, <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to tell you what a treat it was, Chad, with you there on the Diamond Aircraft at AOPA Summit back in 2009. Yeah. And hope that we've crossed that's paths just, since then. That's just, that's just mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's uh, A AOPA's Aviation Summit for 2009. Uh, moving on. David, take a drink. David, where is Miami County in Kansas? Miami County is uh, up uh, northeast of Emporia, south of Kansas City, kind of near the uh, – it's actually almost due east of Emporia, between Emporia and the, and the Missouri state line. Make, make believe for just a moment that I don't know where in the hell Emporia Kansas. No, I was thinking about that. He's describing <laughs> it where it, it is. Yeah. Well, can it's, you give it's, me it's, like you know uh, eastern part of the state? Uh, eastern part of the state near the Missouri uh, line, about lower, sixty lower south half. of Kansas City. Okay. All right. So, anyways, Missouri, uh, Miami County, Kansas. This is uh, from the KMBC TV Kansas City uh, website. Uh, an airplane uh, committed an emergency landing. Uh, that's my words, not theirs. Um, an emergency landing in a Miami County field uh, near 359th Street in Somerset over the weekend. The pilot from Blue Springs, Missouri, or as Dave would say, Missouri, uh, said he was climbing to cruising altitude shortly after takeoff off from the Gardner Airport <laughs> when the plane began to idle. Uh, the quote from the pilot is, I had a mechanical problem with the throttle, tried to adjust it, and it came out in my hand. Right? The, uh, the reporter asked, it came out in your hand physically? What did you think at that point? And this is my favorite line in the whole story. I love this line. The pilot goes, oh. she says, uh, the, uh, the reporter says, what did you think at this point? And the pilot said, aw, shucks. <laughs> it's like, yeah, okay. I don't. I, I think she misquoted him. I think that's a euphemism. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I think he said something else. Walk-up was not hurt during the landing. Aviation investigators will try to determine just how the throttle came out. So, <laughs> now, 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 there's a really nice strip at Miami County Airport, yeah. and it's right between <laughs> Miami and, and <clears throat> Osawatomie. Okay. So you just look it up. Okay, yeah. yeah, all right. Well, or, I'm sorry, Paola and Osawatomi. It's between Paola and Osawatomi. Congratulations to uh, Pilot Dale Walkup for uh, this week's uh, off-field landing of the week. And, uh, and and to Krista Claus for the uh, duh for the question, question of the month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I love the subhead that the website put on this story. What's that? Pilot, 
pilot says throttle came out. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's almost up there with uh, uh, sticks, nicks, hicks, pigs. <laughs> <laughs> So that's our off-field landing of the week. Is a uh, good job for uh, getting the gr- on the ground uh, and not, not being totally freaked out about the idea that the uh, that the throttle would just come out and just just wow. And, and 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 you know, Dale, my reaction is generally pretty close to the same. I usually say, "Oh, sugar." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, one of the adventures of being a bush pilot in Alaska. This is just, uh, I've seen these pictures from about I, seven I or eight those, different yeah. directions. Um, everybody's that that is a redundant phrase. What's Adventure that? and bush pilot in yeah. Alaska. So, you know, when, when you visit, like, you know, the national parks here in the United in in the U.S., in the continental U.S., um, they, uh, they warn you to not to be really careful about how you handle um, food, uh, leftover food or anything that has any food smell to it, like not keep, not even keep it in your car, because bears have been known to rip open cars, parked cars, in order to get at the food that they can smell inside. Well, apparently the same thing applies, obviously the same thing applies to fabric-covered airplanes, because we have a story here and a series of photos uh, from a, uh, a Super Cub that was uh, being used as part of a fishing trip, and they had left some, uh, I don't know if they left actual food or just the, you know, kind of debris from food inside in the luggage area of this uh, Super Cub, and some bears wandered by and ripped the airplane to shreds in order to get at the, uh, the good smelling stuff inside. There's a series of pictures here about how badly torn up this airplane. I've seen airplanes that have been in crashes that didn't look this bad. Um, these bears really wanted to get into this airplane, and, and they... <laughs> They tore it up. And, and when I first looked at this, I went, he was laying there in the tent one day and said, gray, I'm going to paint the airplane gray. Yeah, because that's the punchline here. All right. The punchline <laughs> is like not enough of a story that the bear ripped open his airplane. All right. Then they needed to do a field repair in order to get the airplane airworthy again <laughs> so that they could fly it someplace to get it recovered. And what did they do uh, use as material for the uh, field recovering? Duct tape, apparently. Duct tape uh, and cellophane. They and, and duct tape and cellophane. At, at least from a little two, bit of a distance. And two new tires. They seem like they did a decent job. Looks kind of guy. I I other. Uh, and now the 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 bears going after the remnants of a fish catch laying inside the fuselage. I understand, but what did the tires have as a way of a fishy attraction? I don't or get Where it. did it come from that they attacked I, I get the tires part. too? Yeah. I don't yeah. get that part either, unless they were just so angry they couldn't find any fish that, that they just decided to take out the guy's tires. Did, oh, know. look, donuts. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Um, this is a interesting. So from your experience, is this – I mean, I know it's Alaska and everything goes as far as aviation is concerned, but is this a legitimate field repair? I mean, are they going to get a – there's a, some sort of permit you have to get, right? Yeah, to, that's a ferry that, – that's a ferry permit in the making. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's I mean that cries out for a ferry. Does permit. it surprise you um, that the, if they got a permit to fly this airplane like this? No, not really. Um, because I don't, I don't in know a that cloth I cloth covered aircraft like this. The cloth is really just streamlining. It doesn't really carry any load. No, the, this, you know, like on a monocoque aluminum airplane, that skin actually is where the the loads are transmitted, and the internal structures just help keep it stiff. 
But on a on a rag airplane like this, tube and rag, the 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 loads are all carried by those tubes inside the fabric. That's why you see some ultralight and light experimental designs that'll have a latticework fuselage like this uh, Piper, but no covering on them whatsoever. So you know, duct tape really was just streamlining and to keep it from being so cold and gave them a new place to put their fish. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I uh, have you not that you guys would do any any unofficial repairs, no. field repairs to your airplanes, but have you ever heard of interesting uh, other interesting examples of people doing field repairs to their airplane with? I don't know. No, I guess not. Not that you'll own up to. I, I, I talked to a guy once who was talking about patching old De Havilland mosquitoes during World War II, and uh, that was a plywood steam plywood glued layers and all this stuff mm-hmm. and he talked about how they just take a, a a fine carpenter saw and cut out sections and then put splice plates and layers of wood back over it clamp it and you know let the glue dry and he said you know it was amazing we we could fix those wood airplanes and get them back in the air faster than we could the metal ones yeah yeah there's a scene from what uh, they could have done with duct tape yeah. There's a scene from the uh, classic uh, Barnstormer movie, Waldo Pepper, where uh, I believe it's the character played by Robert Redford. Um, it repairs the, uh, a tear or something in, in the fabric of his, of his biplane by, by trimming off a, a piece from his shirt tail and, uh, mm-hmm. and then uh, gluing it in place as a patch over, over some. I, I guess the Barnstormers probably did things a little more casually than, than is required these days. But, uh, well, that was prior to the FAA. That was prior to the Civil Aeronautics Administration, which preceded the FAA. So, yeah, there was a lot more you could get away with when there's no regs. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it looks airworthy. I mean, ultimately, would an IA sign off on that? I don't know. Um, you know, whether the guy flew it out of there without any paperwork, I, we don't know. Yeah. So I got an email from a listener, Sean Pennington, today, uh, who forwarded to us um, a, a video that he shot. Uh, he somehow got an opportunity to uh, go into a, a Boeing 737 simulator, uh, an orientation for Boeing 737. I'm not exactly sure what the nature of this is. He didn't talk too much in his email about uh, exactly why he was doing this. I'm not sure whether he's a pilot candidate or, or what, but, uh, but he got to uh, fly the 737 simulator. And it looked pretty cool. He uh, he had a bunch of pictures, sort of behind the scenes, uh, in this uh, training facility. Yeah, and, it seemed like a two day program. Yeah, and then uh, and then it showed him doing a couple of approaches and landings, and uh, it, look, it looks like a lot of fun. I want to do this. Yeah, there was a, a, a service. I mean, it, it cost real money, uh, but there was a guy in I think Denver um, several years ago who was doing that. Um, he had access. He had he had sim time uh, that he was selling, and basically anyone could come in and uh, uh, get a couple of days of sim training in a, in a 737 full motion simulator. Um, that kind of went by the boards right after 9/11. Um, um, but it sounds like maybe someone's still doing that, or maybe it's the same guy. Uh, I don't remember the name of the company he had. I don't remember the guy's name. Well, there, there are a number of outfits that you can legitimately get what they call orientation training. Uh, right. It's not going to lead you to type training, but it would help you, for example, if you were about to interview with a carrier that operated that particular type of airplane, 
and they want to throw you in the sim a little bit cold turkey and see how you hold up on what's standard stuff uh, with a you know a, a a captain in the left seat or you in the left seat and I'm in the right seat, but uh, the whole idea is to to get a little handle on you know can you fly approaches? Do you have a feel for the power? Uh, a couple of friends of mine who are either coming out of or uh, wish to come out of their military flying jobs and into airline jobs have actually paid considerable money to go to these two-day orientations and get sim time in three sevens uh, because the carriers they were interviewing with was going to stick them in a three seven first. And, uh, you know, they both considered it really valuable and well-spent time and money. Unfortunately, now one of them got the job. Yeah. So, cool. And we thank yeah. Sean for uh, sending along the video. It might be a blessing and, in disguise. And uh, however Sean did that, we want to do it, too. So. Yeah. Yeah. We want to do that, too. So, so Jeb, here, this is, this is, a, this is your story. Uh-oh. This Uh-oh. is the one. <laughs> so, our friends at TSA had a little oopsie here. Uh, uh, why don't you tell us what they did? And, 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 and Well, wake up tomorrow morning, dear listeners, secure with the knowledge that nothing has changed in our world. This is a story out of, um, uh, where was it, Tallahassee, Florida, Northwest Florida Regional Airport. Uh, on the gadling.com website, the TSA forced a uh, Delta jet. Looks like they're showing a picture of, uh, I guess, uh, looks like an RJ. Um, forced a, re- a Delta Airlines jet to turn around and come back to the airport and land because the TSA had failed to screen a passenger who got on board the airplane. The passenger who got on board the airplane was a TSA employee. Mm. It had not been screened, and they had to turn the airplane around. Now, putting aside um, the, the issue of letting a passenger on the airplane who has not yet been screened, uh, I think maybe if it's a TSA employee, kind of de- maybe depends on the employee, but maybe he was, he's okay. You don't have to turn around the airplane. Well, and it gets better. It gets better. It gets better. Yeah. Jeb, what's the better part? Yeah. The better part is, unfortunately, I'm reading from the article. uh, And this is again, Northwest Florida regional airport. There's a lot of air force and Navy bases in the Florida panhandle. Okay. Which is where this airport is located. Unfortunately, according to the story, the TSA failed to notify the local air force base. When the base noticed the plane taking a different course than they had filed, a call went out to local law enforcement. The call history showed the security staff at Eglin Air Force Base uh, advised of a possible hijack attempt. The request asked for anyone available, including a SWAT team. Um, The TSA has now succeeded in, in annoying the United States Air Force. Um, The Air Force has lots bigger guns. I don't know that <laughs> okay. TSA wants to annoy the Air Force, um, but just just another just another. Uh, um, so at some point, uh, there's going to be a tipping point here, uh, and and we're going to rise up and smite down the TSA. But this um, is such a wonderful line, according to TSA officials. There had been quote some discrepancies close quote in the way they'd screened their own employee. 
Now, if there's one thing that we should all know never to trust, that's the people that we've run through an FBI background check to hire to work in security. Because you never know when one of them may snap and take turn a swizzle stick on a flight attendant. Uh, no, uh, yeah, okay. But uh, all kidding aside, I want to know what this – how did this TSA staffer – do, do TSA, TSA staffers get to bypass the line? Um, do, do they get to wave Apparently the not. Well, Apparently not. But on how some did, level, did, this person did do that, all right? And then they realized, no, you're not supposed to do that. All right? in, in other words – Clearly, a well, flaw. We don't system. know if he just if he just waved his badge. It, it could have been someone who um, was working in in, one, in, a, in a cleared part of the concourse and um, had a ticket and just you know off his shift he just walked straight onto an airplane or something. I don't know. Maybe the guy had it was a ramp inspector or something like that, and he came in a side door into the concourse and and then got onto the airplane without having really gone through. The, the concourse security. I don't know. The, the story it, doesn't it, say. It, 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 uh, it may also be a how did case he get access of paperwork yeah. being screwed up. How did he get access to the airplane if he hadn't gone through some screening? So uh, the whole thing just, just you know, it's is more TSA incompetence and, and uh, um, dogma. Yeah. Yeah. So... Interesting. This, did you guys see this at uh, at AOPA? Uh, a new, I think it's a new organization called the Recreational Aviation Foundation. Uh, that uh, it, part of its mission, or maybe all of its mission, is to protect access to backcountry landing strips on public lands. And uh, they, I guess, were first time exhibitors at uh, AOPA. And uh, this is a story from AvWeb that I'm looking at here, and uh, it sounds like a great organization. It's a great, a great cause. Uh, and, and there's a photo with the story here that's just like the, this says it all. It shows a woman sitting by her tent, you know, with uh, a couple of airplanes parked on the grass in the background. And uh, um, it's good that there's an organization to protect this kind of stuff. I saw, saw, saw their exhibit space, visited with them briefly. Uh, you know, they're they're uh, trying to. From my perspective, fill a gap in the support network for airports in this country because backcountry strips of the kind we're talking about here are actually publicly owned on public land and managed by one of the federal departments that owns that public land. So it's not like and, – and they're they're not municipal airports or community airports or regional airports. They're out there in the middle of nowhere. So it's not exactly a situation where you can have an airport support network volunteer to advocate for it and to make sure that it's uh, attended to and all that. And in past years, we've seen tight budget claims uh, turn toward the idea of closing some of these backcountry strips, uh, I think, to some extent, because they were more trouble than the people in charge wanted to do, or they didn't use them, and they didn't see the point. So these folks are advocating for helping to support and maintain. That's the important thing, and helping to promote the fact that they're there, because the more they're used, the harder it is for them to go away. Yeah. Let me just read one quick paragraph here, and then we'll move on. The group uh, began uh, with a bunch of pilots sitting around a campfire and wondering who was going to protect their backcountry access. Quote, and we realized if it's not us, who is it going to be, said McKenna. Uh, McKenna is, uh, I believe, one of the founders of this thing. Um, John McKenna. Mm, Good for them. Um, Good for them. And if not now, when, he went on to say. Uh, And then the story says, already the group has a number of successes under its belt, including an agreement to maintain 
maintain three public access landing strips in Death Valley that were in danger of being shut down by the National Park Service and the construction of a new strip on a national forest uh, on national forest land in Montana. The group has some new ideas in the works too. Sounds great. Uh, the it Recreational really does, Aviation yeah. Foundation. Check out their website. It's recreationalaviationfoundation.org. Recreational Aviation Foundation, all one word. Uh, good stuff, and uh, they they I think they merit some support. What's next here? Uh, let's see now. Well, uh, another another organization just got formed. Um, uh, very good. Through the fence is uh, let me yeah cl- click that tab yeah through the fence is uh, through the fence organization is uh, a, a new group that has sprung up in response to a policy challenge coming from the FAA um, another one of these situations where uh, something started at the regional level and uh, it was a change in policy and it threatens to to become national policy. And this organization is not only trying to walk back that policy change, uh, but but uh, from the national level, but also just to kind of stick a, a stake through its heart and, and make it go away. Um, basically, what this has to do is with uh, um, airports that have received federal money, uh, regardless of how they are owned, whether it's publicly owned or privately owned, uh, they receive federal money. And what the FAA is trying to do is um, tweak the grant assurances uh, associated with them receiving that money uh, to prevent um, direct access to the airport property uh, from property adjacent to it, adjacent to the airport, when that property has a residential hangar or a, a residence uh, on it at all. Right. Um, this is called through the fence because you're talking about two separate pieces of property, and the, one of the key issues is the right to... Uh, operate on the airport from your own property, uh, and a lot of lot of people have uh, built residences and and call them commercial call them commercial air parks call them residential air parks. Uh, it's very similar to the situation in which I'm living right now. You're living on an airport. Um, the FAA, in its infinite wisdom, uh, has taken a position that any residences uh, next to an airport are uh, incompatible land use. And uh, there should be no residences um, um, as a policy matter. So they would prevent uh, these through-the-fence agreements as a way to encourage the, the uh, elimination of residences next to an airport. The whole thing is just preposterous. No one's going to no live next to an airport unless they want to live next to an airport. Um, and, of course, the reasons given that people wouldn't want to live next to an airport is uh, security, safety, and, and noise. Um, who knows? Uh, Brent Blue, who's a, a good friend of uh, of everybody uh, here, mm-hmm. um, yeah. um, uh, he, he run he, he co-founded Aeromedics.com. Uh, is, uh, uh, just a really all-around nice guy. Uh, always a pleasure to be with him. Uh, he founded this because he's affected. Um, uh, I think Driggs, Idaho, is the uh, uh, airport of which he uh, has a similar situation, and uh, uh, basically FA is trying to kick him out of his situation. He doesn't like that. Yeah, uh, and there's no reason. There's no good reason for it. And there's no good reason at all. It's crazy. This whole concept of incompatible airport land use is just doesn't make any sense because right. the fact of the matter is that having more people around an airport makes it safer, not less safe. Right. Well, uh, it, you know, I can understand how the misunderstanding. <laughs> might come up 
wow, we, we, we try to discourage residential development right next to airports because so often it leads to lawsuits and problems and all that. But when the neighbors with residences or pilots with airplanes using the airport, uh, the idea that they're going to complain about noise is is uh, beyond ludicrous and right. makes me wonder whether the people sitting in that meeting actually understood the concept. Yeah. B, it, it, it's a security uh, enhancement uh, from my perspective when you've got people living there that are paying attention to the airport that are actually a buffer between other access and the airport property. And you're going to notice if somebody's trespassing on your property. And finally, it helps um, it, it helps support the use of the airport, which helps justify its existence and make it more viable. Mm-hmm. So what's wrong with this? And, and people and, and believe it or not, uh, pointy headed bureaucrats, people do want to live at airports. That's right. Um, Ask Hal and Sandy Shevers. Yeah, ask uh, Phil Boyer they're, and his they're wife. Another, they're another party, that, or, or Phil right. Boyer. Uh, these are parties that live at a place called Sandy's Farm, which is adjacent to and a through-the-fence operation at Claremont County Airport in Ohio. And they have coexisted and worked like that with no issues, no problems, no complaints for years. And the FAA rewrites its airport uh, 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 directions manual and, and boy, typical style takes it from, I think it was 28 pages to 600 pages. I've I've got these figures wrong, but it was an exponential increase. And lo and behold, now they've got a new policy in here that came out of nowhere for no reason and no brains uh, that says, wow, we just can't have this. So... Uh, FAA, there's a few people in there that really should be working for the TSA because they're brainless. <laughs> yeah. Another well, big. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting that it's interesting the security issue is even an issue here because there have been any number of public airports, uh, like a county municipal airport, that I have flown into late at night, and there's not a soul within. I don't know. Pick a number. Uh, three, four hundred yards. Uh, it just, it just, uh, it's ludicrous to think that. And, and you come into the, the airport at which I'm, I'm, I both reside and base my airplane nowadays. Um, dude, we'll know it if someone lands here or takes off uh, at night or, or even during the day. Yeah, uh, it's just the nature of the of the, the lay of the land. But this is a private facility, so uh, we've never taken any federal money here. Uh, so it's not embroiled in this particular problem, uh, full, full disclosure. Um, but, uh, again, Brent's, Brent's good people, and uh, he's got a good cause here. And um, uh, hope, hopefully he'll be successful, and uh, hopefully uh, plugging him like we have. Um, uh, that website is www.throughthefence.org. And even if you don't live on a private airport uh, uh, with Through the Fence, uh, you may know somebody who does. You may want to go there. You may want to do it someday. And that which hurts the least of us hurts us all. Yeah, that's right. One last quick item before we jump to shout-outs here. Um, a, a cool video uh, someone sent us or pointed or pointed me to um, of a uh, a short takeoff and landing or a, 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 a short takeoff and spot landing uh, competition, I believe up in Alaska, because it looks like a lot of real serious uh, bush planes. Um, some cool videos of, of, of how 
short a distance you can have an airplane lift off in uh, if you are good at it. And uh, and one or two where people weren't quite so good at it. There was one takeoff. So these are all tail draggers. And the technique that no, most of them... No, they're not. What's the matter? I just watched a 150. They are not all tail draggers, am baby. I looking, am, I, am I remembering the right video here? I better, I better actually look this at the video. This is a payday fly-in. It highlights and crashes a stole takeoff and yeah, landing oh. contest. Very oh, yeah, that is a 152. Okay. But it is really fun. He tailed, He dragged his tail. Uh, but the tail draggers, the way they'll do it, the short takeoff, is that they power up with the brakes on, they actually lift the tail off the ground, and uh, and then start rolling. It's kind of your basic uh, short field takeoff technique. Um, one of these guys, uh, the tail lifted a little bit too high before he started rolling, and you could actually see the prop strike uh, uh, just very, very slightly. The prop struck on the pavement. And then another one uh, who was trying to land in a short distance uh, applied too much uh, brakes and actually nosed the airplane over. Very sad image in that one. Um, but uh, I hate uh, when that happens. And one of these cubs is missing most of the cloth off its aft fuselage. I know. So I was that, thinking that, of that. That, that, that. That's cool. Yeah, that's when you were talking earlier about how the duct tape was really, you know, kind of not all that structurally important. They 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 do these things without. Uh, they don't. You don't really need the covering. Um, is uh, there's a graphic example of it here so it's a cool video uh we'll put a a link to it in the show notes or if you search uh if you search oh. uh did you find you got the one where he nosed over is that the one you're yep. looking at yeah oh. uh, the uh, engine didn't stop if you uh if you do a uh, search on youtube for uh stol 2009 mayday fly-in you'll probably find it and uh, and we'll have a link and it's and we'll have a link in the show oh. notes <laughs> you know, it's, kind of, it's kind of painful to watch, isn't it? Oh, it's kind of painful. Now to watch. that was a prop strike. <laughs> yeah. Shout out and engine tear down and an overhaul and a new prop and shout out. Shout outs. Tweeting on a jet plane, David. What's this? Uh, one of my buddies at my favorite aviation agency. At a, he works at eight hundred Independence inside DC. A uh, little link. Uh, it's strictly audio, but it is sung to the tune of Peter, Paul, and Mary's leaving on a jet plane, and it's called Tweetin' on a Jet Plane, and it's just a hoot. It's inspired by the, uh, the uh, uh, what was it, the Northwest uh, uh, crew that overflew their destination? Yeah, yeah. So right, uh, right. it was a fun, fun, uh, a fun little bit of audio. Chances are you'll hear a little snippet of that at the tail end of this episode. So uh, and, and, stay and a, tuned. My last quick shout out: Jesse Young and his dad Robert. Uh, on Jesse, who's teaching twenty three, who's teaching his dad now fifty eight to fly. And uh, Jesse apparently heard my podcast with Stephen Force talking about aviation photography took some air to airs of his company's King Air, and it was accepted and posted on airliners.net. We'll have a link. It's a beautiful shot, Jesse. Way to go. Very cool. Dad, pay attention to this kid. He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Um, one quick shout-out from me. Uh, a bunch of episodes ago, a couple, few, two, three months back, I talked about uh, meeting a listener who goes by the name Fransan uh, up at Sanford, Maine uh, Airport, who was getting ready to begin uh, his sport pilot training uh, in their LSAs up there. Uh, he uh, let us know the other day that he has now achieved his first solo. Uh, so uh, he's uh, making great progress and uh, uh, by most people's accounts is now officially a pilot. And that's great. Congratulations to Fransan uh, for that, that uh, flight training cool. accomplishment up in Maine. 
uh david i want you to talk about this vets thing but uh jeb you got anything else any shout outs before um we? just real quick one i was i was uh, um uh, never mind um real quick one um um randy reinhardt uh neighbor across the street uh, i mentioned him uh before um he's uh, uh pilot ex air force uh, uh f4 pilot uh all around nice guy um back out of the hospital back at home finally um uh wasn't in the hospital the whole time but uh good to see him back and uh, uh looking forward to uh, uh spending some quality time that's great. Yeah, it was good to see him on my trip. Yeah. Way to go, Randy. Lovely seeing you all again. And the neighbors, Katie, Wendy, and Renee, and Randy's wife, Lynn. Yeah, it's a great neighborhood you're in down there, Jeb. Uh, David, tell us about this uh, Flying Vets uh, program. Well, this has been around for, for not a whole long time, but it's a, a phenomenal cause. It's called the Honor Flight Network. Uh, it's a nonprofit organization uses donations to provide charter air flights for World War II veterans from different locations around the country into Washington, D.C., helps them fund their trips so that they can spend a day or two in D.C. and tour the World War II memorial built to honor their service, uh, during that great conflict, my father fought in that. My uncle fought in that. Uh, a lot of respect for what these people do. The number of World War II veterans is shrinking daily at, 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 at quite a quite a clip. And their goal, their hope, is to get as many of these vets to D.C. to see the uh, memorial, the World War II memorial that was so long in being built and 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 uh and dedicated to their service so if you got a few bucks you're a pilot uh if you got the opportunity take a vet but if you don't toss a few dollars toward the honor flight they'll help put it to good use yeah likewise my dad was also a world war ii combat vet and uh and uh it's quite a generation those folks yeah, uh, yeah. and all veterans of course uh, we thank them all well, it's definitely time to stick a fork in this one. Uh, it's been a good episode for considering, uh, I don't know, we, it took us a little while to get this one together because of all of our travel, but uh, but uh, we're back on, on schedule or back in our cycle, I think. Um, Jeb Burnside is uh, an aviation journalist. Uh, you're currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Tell, uh, Jeb, tell people where they can find you on the internet. On the internet. Uh, oh, the internet. Yeah, I remember that thing. Um, yeah, uh, jeburnside.com is the personal website. Um, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is the day job website. Uh, actually, I, I did help uh, put together a video uh, last week uh, for AvWeb, so it's it's up there somewhere. Um, and AvWeb.com is, is the place to go for that. That's great. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Well, uh, AvBuyer... Is that avbuyer.com? Avbuyer.com. Yeah, that's what it is, Dave. Sales. Uh, AEA.net, aviationsafety.com. Uh, here recently, uh, uh, EAA.org, uh-huh. where I've done a little work for them from NBAA and AOPA. 
uh, or, you know, DaveHigdon.biz, or turn over Rock Google My Name and weed out the theoretical physicist and the golf writer. There you go. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about, more about me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. Thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our uh, show notes, uh, and uh, also thanks to uh, Roy Searle and Mike Morgan and to the many other listeners who have created our show opening disclaimer clips. Um, I, by the way, I was in. the reason I didn't get to go to AOPA was because I was on business in Indianapolis, which is where Mike Morgan lives. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, have dinner with Mike and his lovely wife, Stacy. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, I got a chance to uh, to chat for a while and uh, talk about some other ideas for for things that Mike might do for the podcast. So that was that was great. And uh, he, he took me to a restaurant uh, that uh, uh, is named after a barbecue. Uh, there's actually a restaurant in Indiana called the Weber Grill, uh, and it and it it's inspired by the barbecue brand that uh, that is. Wow, very, and I thought that was a test. Yeah, no, the Weber Grill. Yeah, no, it's it's and, and it was a good restaurant, good food, good barbecue. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? I extended my lifespan a whole lot recently because I've been out flying. Time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. I've heard that somewhere before. TTFN. on tie got my pilot's wings and i'm ready to fly i even brought my laptop and iphone now i'm bored to tears at thirty thousand feet i'm on facebook and i'm posting tweets i'm blogging while i'm logging hours flown so text me and chat with me Quick before I hit a tree, I missed my stop by a hundred miles or so. Cause I'm tweeting on a jet plane, the one I should be piloting. OMG, I gotta go.